0: Let me
1: read from 2 Kings chapter 5. Um, if you were here last week, we began a, a series um, through some Old Testament persons that we typically don't think of. And this is one of those Old Testament persons that maybe you've heard about, maybe you haven't, but my prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer as we leave this place will be that we just don't talk about it, but we actually do something about it. So This particular person is called Naaman, and here's the story in 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and high in favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. Naaman was a mighty man of valor. Naaman was a mighty man of valor. You know your Old Testament? When you hear that phrase, that phrase probably reminds you of another man named Gideon, right? Greetings, you man of high favor. You're a man of valor, right? You, you're a, God recognizes something about you, right? You're not just brave and courageous. You're a mighty man of valor. And then we have this side note out here. But he was a leper. We went to a pumpkin patch yesterday, and uh, there's something wrong with this pumpkin, right? Maybe there's nothing wrong with this pumpkin. Maybe it's just unique. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, most of us think of pumpkins as being perfect shape, perfect color, when we see something like this, we're like, ooh, it's ugly, or it's a gourd, or it's not supposed to be this way, or whatever. Did you know that? I, I was amazed. There, there's more than just orange pumpkins that look like this. There are there are green pumpkins, I mean green pumpkins, that, that are intentionally, this is what they look like. But most of us would think this is not the way of pumpkin is supposed to be. It's almost leprous, right? There's something wrong with the exterior of the pumpkin. I think to understand the story of Naaman, we have to understand what leprosy was in the ancient Near East. Did you notice what that, that phrase I just read for you in 2 Kings chapter 5? He was a mighty man of valor, but what dismissed him from all of society was he was a leper. Some of you have seen the movies, right? You've seen the movies where if you're leprous, then it was your obligation to stick away from society, to, to live in the leper colony outside the community, right? And, and to warn everybody that you had some kind of, of skin disease, and that skin disease was contagious, and it was so contagious that it would cause not only that person's death, but everyone who came in close proximity to that person. They were dismissed from the community, right? So if you, if, you, if you have your Bibles, hold your thumb there in 2 Kings, and I want you to encourage you to turn back with me, if you will, to Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. I'm not going to read all this, but I would encourage you to do so at some point. This idea of leprosy was not just a skin disease, it was. It was mold in houses, right? If you went into a house and, and there had been some kind of water leak or things like that that had trickled down the wall, they called that leprosy. But the most heinous, the most um, irreparable uh, was the skin disease, the, the lepers who were banished uh, from society. In chapter 13 of Leviticus, it says this, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or eruption or a spot, and it turns to a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priest, and the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if, Can you imagine the stress in this situation, right? And if the hair of the diseased area has turned white, the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body. It is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean, right? And so if you're a leper and you're moving within society, it's your obligation, Jeremy, to say unclean, 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 and unclean. And that was her warning to stay away. Everybody understand? It was you disassociating yourself with the commun- from the community and the community disassociating themselves from from you. Does that make sense? Now I could go on and on and on, and I would encourage you to read the rest of chapter 13, chapter 14, and portions of chapter 15, and it will describe for you in Leviticus 13 through 15 what leprosy is all about. We can't completely understand leprosy in the ancient Near East, but I hope that you'll understand it was a severing of relationship, not just for this person, but for I mean, the community was changed from the top to the bottom and everything in between. And so this Naaman here in 2 Kings chapter 5, notice he's a mighty man of valor. God has given the, 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 the Arameans victory over the Syrians because of Naaman, but the problem is he's a leper. Okay, everybody good? Back to 2 Kings chapter 5. Now the Syrians on one of their trades had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. That's why this is in the Scriptures. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife, and she said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, this is what the lady said, the girl said, the land from Israel. And The king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. By the way, if you're taking notes, let me remind you of Luke chapter 4, verse 27. Luke chapter 4, verse 27 says this There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. That's what it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 27 for you good New Testament people, right? So you will know the name Naaman. But I want you to see here in 2 Kings chapter 5, what connected Naaman to God was this young child from Israel. And she has so much compassion for this man named Naaman that she goes and she says, hey, if he just goes to the prophet in Israel, if he goes to the man of God, God will heal him. So Naaman obviously would have a little bit of hope, right? So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing, it says in verse 5. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you Naaman my servant from the king that you may cure him of his leprosy. Notice he sends him to the king of Israel because the king of Israel is what? As far as the Israelites are concerned, he's the most powerful person in the land. And when the king of Israel read the letter, it says in verse 7, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? Right? In other words, yeah, God's a good God, but this is leprosy. You don't understand. Am I God? Right? It shows a tremendous lack of faith on the king of Israel's behalf, doesn't it? Am I God that I should do something about this? Only consider and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. In other words, he's just looking to, to blame me for something that, this skin disease that he has, it's not my fault and I can't do anything about it. And so it's almost like he's wringing his hands, right? But when Elisha, the man of God, notice this, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there's a prophet in Israel. What's a prophet? Anybody? It's a mouthpiece of God, right? You've heard me say that before. A prophet is a mouthpiece of God. He's an ambassador for God. He speaks on God's behalf. And Elisha happens to be the prophet during the time uh, that we're talking about here with Naaman. Elisha hears about the plight of Naaman, and he not only hears about the plight of Naaman, but he also hears about the lack of faith from the king of Israel. Let me say that again. Make sure you catch this. The man of God, the prophet from God, Elisha, hears about the plight of a leper who can't be cleansed himself, and and he has no hope, especially after he even goes to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel goes, "Ah." so Elisha says, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. I'm going to do everything I can. If I'm a leper, I'm I'm going to go to to the ends of the earth to try to be cleansed of this leprosy, right? So he goes to Elisha's house and Elisha sends a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. Now let me stop here for just a moment and let me... Let's do the comparison game. Usually the comparison game is not a very good thing to do, right? We compare ourselves with one another. That's not a healthy way to uh, interact with one another, shall we say. If you're going to compare yourself with anybody, compare yourself with, fill in the blank, Jesus, right? We get in this comparison game of comparing, well, I'm better than that person, or I'm not as bad as that person. But if you're going to compare yourself, make sure you compare yourself with the one who's worthy to be compared with, and that being, of course, Jesus Christ. Today I want to talk to you about a comparison game between a man of God and a king of Israel. Now, hear the irony in that. If you know your Old Testament, the king of Israel should be a man of faith, should he not? The answer is yes. The king of Israel should be a man of faith, should he not? Yes, He should. And he wrings his hands and says, there's nothing I can do about this thing called leprosy. What, what do you want me to do about this, Naaman, right? There is no hope. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, there's nothing I can do. And the only thing that you're going to do here is, is to cause some problems, right? And so as we often see in the Old Testament uh, ways, symbolically, he tears, his, he tears his clothes, right? He is he, discouraged over this. He has no power over this thing called leprosy. But the man of God, the prophet named Elisha said, send him to me and I will, I will prove to him there's a God. That's basically what he says. Naaman goes to, there's a, there's a unique aspect of faith versus the lack of faith. Prophet of God versus the king of Israel. Um, remember what we talked about, faith is not just this eloquent speech, it's not just this words that, that, that seem to sound good, It's about acting upon your faith. You follow? Keep that in mind as we move through the story. So he shows up to Elisha's house, right? He's going to go to the ends of the earth. He needs hope. He needs restoration. He needs healing. He shows up to Elisha's house, knocks on the door, and because Elisha knows he has leprosy, he sends a messenger to Naaman, right? And he says, here's what you're supposed to do, Naaman. Go to the River Jordan and wash, dip yourself in the River Jordan Seven times, if you're not aware, there's what's called gematria. There's a tremendous amount of, uh, of, of, of history, uh, of, of study of numbers, and this seven times meant the times that were perfect. It was a time of sufficiency. And so as you're dipping yourself in this river Jordan, God's going to do something. Right? That sounds like it's pretty uh, self-explanatory directions. There's not, a, there's not a whole lot of but what if? What if, right? Seven times, just dip yourself in the river of Jordan and you'll be cleansed of this leprosy. Wouldn't you want to do that if you had leprosy, right? Wouldn't you want to be cleansed? Wouldn't you want to be purified? Wouldn't you want to be restored back into community? But what what happens? If you do this, if you go and wash yourself in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored, and notice the phrase at the end of verse 10, and you shall be clean. See, that that's the difference. We're talking about... We're talking about leprosy versus the way things are supposed to be. We're talking about unclean versus clean. right? And and if you want to be clean, if you want to be restored back into community, this is what you should do. But Naaman was angry, it says in verse 11, and he went away saying, why would you be angry, Naaman? He just told you what to do. I wonder how many times people tell us what to do good, wise, godly counsel, and we go away angry because we don't really want to hear what we've just been told. You know, in the New Testament, when Paul writes to Timothy, he says, there will come a point in time where people don't want to hear the truth. They just want their ears to be tickled. Anybody know that text? Right? Why, Why did he go away angry? The man of God, the prophet, Elisha, has just told him what it means to be restored. What he needs to do to be healed. What he needs to do to be cleansed. To be considered clean by God. And it says that he went away angry. And here's what he said, Behold, I I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God. And he could wave his hand over this place, right? I I expected this man of God to be a magician. That sounds kind of strange to us, but that's what happened among the, the gods. And when I say gods, I'm using the little g, right? So what I mean by that is there were worshippers of Baal. There, was a, there were worshippers of Asherah. There were worshippers of Molech. And all of these worshippers, when they worshipped their one particular god, they thought of their god as magicians. If we'll just give our god what he wants, if we'll just appease the gods, they will do as we want them to. In other words, they weren't just worshipping, they were manipulating. I wonder... I wonder if we do that with our God. Follow, follow me for a second. When we think about prayer for a second, do you, do you pray um, in a way to manipulate God? God, if you'll do this, I will do this. God, if I give 10%, then you've got to do this. God, God if, I, if I do this, then you, you hear what's wrong with that? You hear the motive that's behind that, right? That's what Naaman... That's what other people who worship these foreign gods thought that that, that you would just the god would just wave his hands and everything would be done. I don't have to do anything. Man, I think that's a problem in our society today. Right? God get me out of this problem. God get me out of hell. God stop the suffering. Would you just wave your hand would you just be a magician and everything is gone? Does that sound familiar? Here you go. You probably see that in other people before you see it in yourself. In other words, you probably see that in your neighbor. You hear it from your neighbor. But I'd be willing to bet that you've done the same thing yourself. God, if you'll just wave your hand, then all this will go away. God forgive us when we do that. So Naaman was angry. And he says, "'Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, "'better than all the waters of Israel?' Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and he went away in a rage. Verse 13, but his friends, his servants, his people in his cohort came near and said to him, my father, hey, remember this this is a man of God. The word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he not actually said to you, wash and you will be clean? If you're a leper, if you're disassociated from society, if, If you're outside of this community, wouldn't you want to know the secrets to becoming a part of the community? Wouldn't you want to know what it meant to be restored? Wouldn't you want to know what it meant to be completely healed? Wouldn't you do anything possible to do so? I think you would. Finally, Naaman, it says in verse 14, is convinced, so he goes down and he dips himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, and notice what happens. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Leprosy? Completely restored. The way things are supposed to be. I was thinking about this account a couple of weeks ago, knowing that I was going to preach the story of, of Naaman. And it all goes back to this verse at the first of chapter 5 in 2 Kings where it says that He was a man of valor, but... Contrast. He was a man of valor. He was a man of courage. In fact, God had given His people victory because of His courage, because of His valor, but He was unclean. But He had no hope. He's unclean. I began to think of the New Testament text in Acts chapter 2. You guys know Acts chapter 2, right? Where Peter gets up the day of Pentecost and he gives this great, great message about them killing Jesus. You've just killed the Messiah. And they were convicted, right? It says they were cut to the heart and they said, brothers, what must we do? Follow me. Brothers, what must we do to be clean? To be clean forgiven, to make things right. What must we do? And what are they told? Peter says, repent, be baptized for the remission of sins, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Everybody on the same page so far, right? Do something about your faith, right? If you're really convicted, if you're really convicted by the Holy Spirit, you will do whatever it takes to be restored back into relationship with Jesus Christ, the one you just killed, right? I, just, I, think this is a, I think this is an Old Testament picture of what we see in Acts chapter 2. And I, I would offer to you again, I would submit to you again, that most of the time people think that faith is just words. Most of the time people think that faith is just this eloquent speech. Most of the time people think that if I'm just religious enough, I don't have to be obedient. God has to let me into heaven. You, you hear how wrong that is? God expects some kind of obedience. Elisha, the prophet of God, the man of God, expected him to go and wash in the the river Jordan seven times. He was supposed to dip himself in the the river Jordan seven times and he would be restored. He would be clean. He would be completely where he's supposed to be. Peter tells the the people there at Pentecost who have been convicted because they've just killed the Messiah. I can't think of a more stressful scenario, right? We've just killed the Messiah. What are we going to do? We're never cut to the heart. And Peter says, repent, be baptized, right? Associate yourself with Jesus Christ. And in other words, you will be clean. There's preachers that preach every Sunday or every Saturday or every Wednesday or whenever the church meets. And they will preach these something like these words. You have been separated from God. You are no longer in community because of your sin. And somebody's going to be convicted by the Holy Spirit, and they say, What should we do? They walk the aisle, and ultimately, no matter, you know, maybe it's a sinner's prayer, maybe it's getting the baptistry, but eventually the message is be clean, right? But you just don't receive Jesus and go about your business. Something has to change. Something has to change. In other words, we're not talking about just escaping hell, we're talking about making Jesus the Lord of your life. That's the difference. It always strikes me as strange. You know? And I agree that Jesus is our Savior. I get that. But what about Lord? What about Master? Peter tells the people in the church in Acts chapter 2 to repent, to be baptized, to be clean. The man of God in 2 Kings says to go and wash in the, go and wash in the River Jordan seven times. What's the story about Naaman? What's Naaman all about? I would offer to you, Naaman is all about obedience. Naaman is all about... I mean, there's more to it than that, right? He's, he's, not, a, he's not an Israelite, which is kind of interesting. You would think that one of, the, one of the narrators, one of the historians who were telling us about the good God of Israel would use an Israelite as the example. But as so often is the case, he uses a Gentile. He uses somebody outside the Israelite community to show the Israelites what they should be about. The other part of the irony is, is the king of Israel, who should have all the faith, right? Because he's the king of Israel, right? Shows an immense amount of lack of faith. He's wringing his hand saying, I can't do anything about it. And this man of God, this prophet named Elisha, actually shares the gospel with this Gentile. Does that not play out in Acts when Peter says we're just supposed to be about the Israelites right and God says no we're supposed to be about the entire world do you hear that, how that happens over and over and over again the the point i want to share to to you this morning one of the major points i want to share with you this morning is faith is not just about your mouth it's not just about a sunday it's not just about a wednesday or a thursday or whenever you gather as church members, and you have a safe place, it's about how you live your life. C- can I read a text to you? Um, and I'm going to read it pretty, uh, pretty slowly because I-, I want you to catch it. Um, in Second First P- Peter chapter one, First Peter chapter one verse uh, chapter three verse twenty-one. First Peter chapter three verse twenty one. I-, I want you to hear this. Um, when we talk about being baptized, church, listen, when we talk about being baptized, there's nothing special. I've said this before and I'll say it again just so everybody will hear me again. There's nothing special in the McKinney water that will save you. Some of you who live in McKinney will say amen. Or in Anna or in Melissa or wherever you happen to reside. There's nothing special in the water that saves you. Um, Naaman gives other opportunities or other rivers as an example and says, could I not have washed? No, you had to go to the man of God. And he tells you to be obedient by going to the river Jordan and being baptized. right? But notice what it says here in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. He says, baptism, which corresponds to this. He's given an example of Noah and the ark. But he says, baptism, which corresponds to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that again, slowly. Why are we baptized? Is it to say, God, if you'll just, if you'll just wave a hand, if you'll just be a magician, if you'll just wave a hand over these waters, then, then something's going to take place, something that we can't explain other than you've waved your hand and you've been a magician. Is that what happens? Oh, no, that's not what happens. Notice what it says in verse 21, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. Some of you are going through Romans right now, I understand, in your Sunday school class. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, he talks about baptism, buried with Christ in baptism. What do you bury? Something that's dead, right? You bury your flesh, buried with Christ in baptism, risen to walk in a newness of life, right? Not as the way you were before, Paul would say. That dead man no longer lives, he's dead, right? But you have the power of Christ living in you. In Galatians, he would go on to say, It is no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me, right? But here's the point, right? If Naaman would have continued in a rage and went away and never would have went and did as the prophet of God told him, what would have happened? He's not obedient, right? You you know his heart's not changed, right? If the people were cut to the heart, if they were convicted, but they but they sat right where they were in Acts chapter 2. They could have felt bad about their sins. They could have said, well, we killed the Messiah. We have no hope. No, it says they were cut to the heart. And they said, we got to do something, right? We've got to be obedient. We've got to get right with God. We've got to be clean. And what happens? Peter says, well, here's what you need to do. You need to repent. We've talked about this before. You're going one direction. You shove. you go the other direction, right? You repent. You be baptized. Remission of sins. Receive the Holy Spirit and you've associated yourself with Jesus Christ, and as we've talked about so many times before, now God the Father looks down upon you, and He not only sees somebody who is, almost said worthless, but it's $8. Anybody want to give me $10 today? I'll auction this off. God not only sees somebody who's imperfect, who's got all kinds of blemishes, now He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what makes you clean. Are you obedient, or are you all just about lip service? Do you just go through the motions? Or do you understand what Jesus Christ is willing to do for you? He wants you to be clean. He wants you to be righteous. And the only way that happens is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the story of Naaman. Let's pray. Father, for Your Word, um, even in the Old Testament, God, help us as New Testament believers who live in a time where We have the ability, in hindsight, to look back and see how God loves us in great ways and perhaps the greatest, no, not perhaps, but the greatest way of showing that love is through the life, the death, uh, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, we all bring something um, that's worthless to the table. We all bring something that um, is shameful, is pitiful. Um, and I pray, God, that there will be some conviction um, that takes place in each of our lives, whether it's today, um, whether it's been in the past, whether it's been in the future, God, that you would continue to show us um, that, we are, that we are nothing on our own. Um, I, I can't think of how often I've been in the name and, and walked away in a rage when I hear the truth. Help us to be humble enough to hear the truth. And not just hear the truth, but to respond uh, when the man of God, when the Spirit of God uh, speaks. Help us to be obedient enough to do things that allow us to align ourselves with your will and not our own. Help us to understand the gospel, even in the Old Testament, a story of Naaman. And help us to um, allow you to change our life, not just on a Sunday, or when we're at a Bible study, or when we feel really spiritual, but every day, every hour, every minute of our lives, and we'll give you the honor and the glory forever. In Christ's name.